In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. And welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Erin. And I'm Amy. And this is episode 121. Damn, girl. Look at me with my <laughs> numbers. <laughs> but I will tell you, I had a moment of panic as I saw that number. It was like, I, I thought uh... I was going to be fine once we were out of the teens. Apparently not. There is a number blockage in my head. I'm an intelligent person, but apparently not with numerals. You know what? That's okay, though. Okay. Like, that's, there's just certain things people have blockage, but I can't pronounce names. You that's can't true. pronounce numbers. It's Thank fine. you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Back to the, yeah. the theme of this episode, which is uh-huh. Groove is in the Heart. Groove is in the Heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is part of our new fall theme, because we've moved out of the summer We're moved out of, of the 80s, 80s pop hits. Mm-hmm. So we decided, and you decided, I should say, on a new theme for this fall, which is... One Hit Wonders. Yes. Because it felt good to have a theme. It felt really it good felt to have good. a theme. It seemed great. Yeah. But we needed something new. We needed, we needed something, something fresh. New. Yeah. We needed something for the pumpkin spice season. <laughs> Which is supposed to be a one hit wonder. It won't <laughs> it die. It wasn't. It won't <laughs> die. It keeps producing albums that no one wants to hear. Do you want to know a funny story about pumpkin spice? Obviously. I have never tried a pumpkin spice thing until last it's fall. Real gross. Yeah. When Mike and I went on vacation okay. around our anniversary. It was the day we were coming back. We were in the airport. There's a Starbucks. For whatever reason, I said, today's the day I'm going to pull the trigger today's on the pumpkin day. spice. Mm-hmm. And I pulled the trigger and we sat down and Mike's like, well? And I was like, mediocre at best. It's too sweet. It's, it's too weird. like It's real it's weird. trying too hard. It's trying too hard. You can feel it on your tongue trying too hard. It's like doing some calisthenics yeah. or something for flavor. No, I no. don't like it. Give me my plain old latte because yeah. you're trying too hard. Word. I don't like it. It's like I'm at the club and you rubbed up on me. <laughs> and I'm not going home with you, pumpkin spice. So stop it. 
Stop it. Stop being slutty, Pumpkin Spice. Stop it. You're not willing to buy me a drink, but you're trying to grab my butt. Yeah. I don't like it, Pumpkin Spice. Why are you a douchebag, Pumpkin Spice? Pumpkin Spice. Get it together. God, wow. God. We're coming in hard on Pumpkin Spice. We are, sorry. But I mean, and off topic September. to One Hit Wonders. <laughs> off topic. So obviously the theme is just we're going to use songs by people that are considered yeah. One Hit Wonders. Yeah. But the song we picked, yeah. Groove is in the Heart, mm-hmm. we're going to use as a way to talk about leading with emotion. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, emotions taking the front. When yeah. Maybe leading with your shouldn't. heart. Absolutely. Yes. All the good and bad of that. Yeah. Which I thought was brilliant. Which, and also this song is epic. It is epic. D-Light. D-Light. D. And I think there were maybe another song or two by Delight, but I have no idea what they were. I know every damn word of this song, though. I'll tell you that. A true one-hit wonder. Yes. A true one-hit wonder. 100%. Mm -hmm. Thinking of one-hit wonders. Mm -hmm. Aaron, do you think it's worse to be a one-hit wonder or never have a huge hit as a band? I think it's worse to have a one-hit wonder. Here's why. Okay. Okay. You know what? There's a caveat. Oh. If it's a one-hit wonder that is just like, you can retire for the rest of your life, congratulations, that's the dream. Yeah. You did it once. You have to tour for like a year. You cash in. You never have to do anything else. Royalties forever. That doesn't really feel like what a one-hit wonder is, though. Oh, no. I feel like it's worse to have that because you're getting like a little bit of taste of the good life. Like, Mm -hmm. you could be popular. People love this. You know, there's there's a period of time where you're at the height, and then you go back, and that pressure hits and you're like if we don't have another hit we're a one-hit wonder self-fulfilling prophecy it's over that's a good point you're right because at some point like when you're a certain level of artist take like beyonce yeah i'm not saying beyonce phones it in so don't at me beehive (laughs) okay i'm not saying that we would never dare say that no but what i'm saying is i think there's a little more grace extended absolutely if she misses the mark on a song there's going to be a group just likes it just because she's on it yes where with a one-hit wonder after that first one your next one has to be better yeah because then we there's a uh anger reaction yes if they try anything else yeah yeah and then otherwise you're just destined to be on an you know on a compilation tour someday that's Mm -hmm. retro with a whole bunch of moms having mom's night out with wine in a can Throwing their bras on stage. And, and hey, like, maybe that's okay for you, sirs. But probably not. It's probably you're, not what You're the dream wishing is. that you were living like, you know, Def Leppard 80s dreams with cocaine and groupies everywhere. Yes, yes. And you just didn't get you it. You can't. Not no. if you just have one hit. Yeah. Now, some people, one hit wonders, which I'm sure we'll get into as this fall season progresses, deserve to be one hit wonders. Sure. But I don't know, D-Light. I Even more... the one hit that they had are terrible. Yeah. This song... I enjoyed quite a bit growing up. I did too. Yeah. I did too. Okay, so thinking about one-hit wonders, is there something you would consider a one-hit wonder in your life? (laughs) Something that you did once and not going to happen again? I have a list. Oh, okay. Yes. I I love So I was thinking job-wise. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did telemarketing (laughs) in college. (laughs) Uh Mm -hmm. Mm Uh-huh. I waited for you to take a sip to see if this would be a spit Uh take. I did. did, It did. I spit a little coffee That was good. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was a telemarketer for maybe a couple weeks when I yeah <laughs> when I realized like okay I had a bad feeling going in and I have a worse feeling now this is terrible I'm yeah. sure I can find another shitty job somewhere where I don't have to call randos yes so there's that one mm-hmm. sports pretty much all sports oh mm-hmm. basketball mm-hmm. tennis uh, mm-hmm. the only sport that I uh, continued with was one where I didn't really have to compete against I mean I was in races like I was in track and cross right, country right, right. but it's That's like it doesn't say. really matter no. like it's not the same it's kind not of competitive the same. yeah no and I was never good enough to be like in the top three anyway oh. okay 
Then there's like outdoor activities, camping, mm. boating. Mm-mm. I've tried them all. I hate them with every fiber of my being. So they were one hit wonders. Did and it they once shall and continue to be one hit wonders because yes. they weren't wonderful. Yeah. So they were just one hits. I feel like we don't do enough of that as an adult where we like yeah. get caught up in this like this idea that we're supposed to like something. Mm-hmm. So then we continue to do it even though we hate it and it's awful and it's stressful. It's like, well, if I don't like it, I don't like it. Camping's a great example. I don't like it. It's I don't want to so do it. gross. You're not going to guilt me into camping. No. I have a house. I have a bed. I have no desire to sleep outside. I literally pay someone to make sure bugs don't get into my home. Exactly. So why would I go sleep with them? Why would I go do that? Just every part of it is disgusting. Yeah. It's not, I, I just, no. And every part of being on a boat is just terrible. Yeah, yeah. It can I be feel scary. nauseous. Mm-hmm. I feel scared. Mm-hmm. I regret every choice in my life that's brought me to a boat. That's fair. That's fair. It's always too hot or too cold or yeah. too wet or too dry. Or it's just, there's never a... Yeah, and I've had a number of particular experiences. Like I did a sailboat in the Pacific when I was 18. Oh. Like I went to San Diego with my mom for some reason. And like we got on this boat and both of us were just puking the entire three oh, or four hours. It no. was disgusting. And then I think I told you about the Coke boat incident yeah. in Chicago. Uh-huh. Yeah, where uh-huh. halfway through the boat, I realized, oh, this was financed by cocaine sales. Uh-huh. And also they're not letting us go. And it's really, it's really bad. I'm puking. Yeah, that's it's not good. That's not great. Yeah. Hence... My hatred of boats. That's fair. That's 100% fair. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. yeah. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. So all of those shall remain one hits. One hit wonders. And never be wonderful. No. No. Um, got another question for you, Aaron. Yeah. Thinking about crime. Uh-huh. There's no real transition to crime. Yeah. It's always on our minds. Crime. Always. Yeah. Yeah. Always. So thinking about like leading with the heart, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes that idea of like, be you know with your heart on your sleeve like living in that way um you can get made fun of Mm -hmm. you can get ridiculed Mm -hmm. um it can get weaponized against you Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we've talked a number of times about like true crime things that we've watched or true crime books that we've read where people who are going through like a a a court case or something like that they're being scrutinized for their emotions Mm -hmm. they're being looked at very carefully and like oh they're being too emotional Mm -hmm. or they're not being emotional enough yes or they're not any of that like stuff do you think you know using that sort of telescopic look at emotions and then somehow it relates to like their sentence Uh what do you think about that I I think usually that that's all bullshit. Yeah. I just think that there's too many factors in any emotional response. I think that we do too much of that even outside of true crime where mm-hmm. we say, well, they didn't react the way I wanted them to react, yeah. which is such a misnomer. And we never seem to recognize that. Like how many, if you think about yourself and emotional reactions I have to things, I'm cognizant enough to know that not everyone's going to react that way yeah. because they are not bringing in my experiences or my thought processes. So their reaction is going to be different. And I feel the same. And I feel like it's even more true in high stress situations, which are usually criminal investigations. Yeah. Either you were there when a body was found, it's a loved one, something. And they're attributing all this, this focus to how that person reacted in that situation. And there's just no way to handle that. Mm-hmm. And I also feel like a lot of times in criminal investigations that we put this emphasis on like a gut instinct. And to me, that's not what a gut instinct is. Mm-mm. It's it's gut instincts gone wrong. It's like, it's detectives saying like, well, I had this gut instinct and I knew by his face that this wasn't right. Well, yeah, none of that is, that's not no. valid. Mm-mm. And that's part of what's wrong with the whole system. And I feel like 
we've gotten to this place where we don't understand that gut instincts are actually just meant for your own internal decision making. Yeah. Like my gut's telling me something's wrong. So I need to check with my head and say, what about this isn't working for me and go from there. Mm -hmm. A gut instinct is not for me to have a gut instinct to say something that Amy's doing is Mm -hmm. wrong because I, I can't make that call. I'm not in your head. I don't know your emotions. I don't know what's happening. And I feel like people get, especially when you watch true crime shows, you can see where it goes bad, where they're like, well, he didn't cry. I mean, he just found his wife dead and he didn't cry. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how do you know that that's his, that that's what would happen? Everyone grieves differently. Exactly. Or reacts to shock and trauma differently, Mm -hmm. you know, or has different emotions. You know, we always assume that everyone's going to feel terrible about certain things. Maybe they did have a terrible relationship and they don't feel sad. Yeah. But that also doesn't mean that they killed them. Right. And, I mean, yeah, in an emergency situation, you might be setting aside your emotions at the time to deal with whatever's happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It just has never struck me as a valid, and I I hate it always when I see that in a show, in a book, and then that's why they choose that line of investigation is because they didn't like this person's reaction. And it just feels so middle school to me. And I think we overestimate our ability to decipher other people's faces and emotions. Like we think we are so good at it, especially Mm -hmm. maybe because true crime is such a thing and we're so used to watching it now. Mm -hmm. We think we've got it all figured out. But as you and I know, we try to control our face sometimes. Yes. Because we don't want people to know the turmoil that is going on inside. No. Which, speaking of this, I mean, you're basically using someone's emotions against them. Mm-hmm. You're weaponizing them. And also, remember, uh, like, way back in our podcast, like, one of our first episodes, we did one on church giggles. Yeah. About, like, the inappropriate emotions that we often have. Like, it's completely, yes. like, discounting that idea, too. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, we've all known someone that, like, reacts inappropriately in difficult situations. Like, they either laugh or they yeah. get weird or whatever. Yeah, laugh at a funeral or something like that. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Yeah. Like... That's our body just like, you know. Exactly. Not sure what to do. I don't know what's happening. So here I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we can all admit that there are times that our bodies have betrayed us. Oh, God. So. Oh, man. I I, I was thinking about myself, but also I was thinking about you. Your Tom has betrayed you on so many occasions. So many times. So many times. So many times. It's amazing we still have have a Have you forgiven your Tom for Heavesgate? You have to. Yeah, you have to. Or you're destined to have a Heavesgate all the time. (laughs) It. I've just decided that, look, it's its own entity. It is. And every once She's in a, a while, it just sometimes needs attention. Yeah. And it's clear I haven't been giving it to it. Yeah. And so then it's just going to rebel. It's having a tantrum. That's the price I have to pay for yeah. not, you know, fostering the relationship better. <laughs> so you're taking the blame yes. for not fostering no the relationship with because your tum. I can't apparently bring my tum to its knees, but no. my tum can bring me to my knees. She sure can. And when by she knees, decides I mean to. in front of a toilet. Yeah, puking can, for 24 hours. 24 hours straight. Yeah. Which also means nothing's coming out. I just look like a cat. Yeah. Just back arching. <laughs> and then over. Which just sounds exhausting. It's really worst case scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that, you know, you've come to sort of an arrangement with mm-hmm. your tongue. Mm-hmm. She's a... She's a... You gotta watch out for her. Fickle mistress. <laughs> <laughs> Fickle, fickle. Well, okay. We all know my Tom's betrayed me. But have you ever had like emotions or a feeling weaponized or used against you? Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, I think you and I 
outside of the podcast have numerous discussions about this, about yeah. people that have supposedly loved us that have treated us in this way, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for the example here today, I have sort of a smaller one where um, I decided to go vegan like eight years ago mm-hmm. due to understanding how factory farming worked mm-hmm. and because I can't handle animal cruelty mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's something in me that just, as we know with my cat weirdness, right. Right. can't handle animals right. in pain. Right. Fair. So when I decided to eat vegan, um, again, people have weird reactions for no real good reason. Right. But I had that sort of like emotion. I had to lie to a lot of people about my reasoning, first of all, because I knew that if I admitted it was about animal cruelty, I'd be called weak. I would be called uh, a pussy. I'd be called all of these things. uh, Silly. Like, oh, you know, she's just so sensitive kind of thing. Which I did at first. I lied right, about it and right. talked about it as like, <laughs> like you know, for wellness or for like the climate or whatever, oh, right. which is all valid. It's valid, but, but it I wasn't get it. the primary reason. Right, I understand. Over time, as this proved not to be a phase, um, increasingly people understood that it was about animal cruelty, and all of those things were leveled at me that I was weak, that I was silly, that you know, I was un-American, really. That's my favorite argument against veganism: is mm-hmm. you're un-American, like we're somehow defined by our ability to eat beef. Yeah. And to like, there have been people who <laughs> like seem to take pride in the fact that we murder all these animals yes. to give us yeah. food. Yeah. Like that's an American thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, listen, that's your thing. That's fine. But that's not who I am. And that should be okay too. That it should just be okay. Matter. It's just saying, to me, it's the same thing as saying like, I don't eat mushrooms. I don't yeah. like mushrooms. I just don't eat them. I don't like them, whatever. Why is it any different? Mm-hmm. Who am I to tell you that you need to put that in your body? No matter what the reasons are for why you got there. I don't drink milk. I don't want anyone coming at me trying to force me to drink milk. Like it grosses me out to a level that I can't handle. Yeah. So I, I, I like logically, I just don't understand that. <laughs> I bet, and I've witnessed some weird situations with you and veganism, <laughs> and it is constantly befuddling to me. And again, this is small on the scale of it, but it is about like. Most of the reactions I've gotten have been sort of weaponizing emotion, like taking that idea of me being upset about animal cruelty or about the ethical nature of it and then saying, ah, what a pussy. Yeah. Great. Thank you. What a great society we live in. I'm so glad that compassion is bad. It's terrible. It's weak. I don't understand. What a silly little woman. You are. Caring about animals. Good God. Just run over them. Just kill them. Yeah, be done with it. Yeah, be done. I've it. It is a constant source of amazement for me. But generally, just that idea of like weaponizing emotion, it feels like such an American thing. Too, it does, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like a lot of our political. Oh, oh, heart attack! City just happened. What happened there? I missed it, but it was there was some sort of bat, fallout with the cats that. So there is a uh, Chewy.com box that arrives every month. Okay. It's a big box full Mm -hmm. of cat food and various supplies. Mm -hmm. That box then becomes a cat toy for the podcast. It becomes the hot toy of the season. Hot box summer. Right? Ooh, that might have meant something else. (laughs) Sorry. That was... But um, good old Thelma, Mm. listen, she's a big lady. She is. She sometimes um, is a little hesitant to uh, throw her girth into uh you know various places and then sometimes she's a little overconfident okay i think what we just witnessed was her trying to get into the box oh and it slid and slid okay okay Okay. i didn't know there was another cat involved that i couldn't see on the other side of the wall but it scared me 
It, I mean, it was, you know, because yeah. she's normally so quiet while she's we're so recording. Quiet. It's just, she was sleeping for a good hour just on her back. And <laughs> again, just like last week, she knows the microphones are on. She's For some it. reason, by recording downstairs instead of upstairs, as usual, these cats are fascinated. They are. They're fascinated by the whole scenario. Yeah. Anyway. Well. Weaponizing emotion. I'm weaponizing emotion. I'm not weaponizing your emotion, podcats. You do you. <laughs> you be as fickle and weird and mm-hmm. well listen yeah i've got some picks yeah. to go along with our theme yes because this is how it works this is this is what as we we've do. established in the last couple episodes we yeah. finally hit our stride finally <laughs> we finally have a format and we feel good about it we're gonna keep doing it still can't say numbers but we're getting there getting there small details yeah mm-hmm. so for my fiction pick i've got a book called eleutheria by allegra hyde mm. which i love that name by the it's way so good allegra hyde. yeah uh, this came out earlier this year. And our main character is Willa, who grew up in the middle of nowhere with parents who had isolated themselves because of their conspiracy theories. Oof. Okay. So, like, they are okay. legit survivalists. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. So, Willa grows up with just doom and gloom uh-huh. everywhere because her parents keep talking about the idea that the world is fucked. Uh-huh. Like, there's just no going back. So, you might as well just hunker down, train with your guns, prepare for the apocalypse. Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah. So that's her upbringing. But then when she's a teenager, her parents die and Willa has to enter the real world. Mm -hmm. She moves in with a distant cousin, gets a dead end job, is just sort of surviving, trying Mm -hmm. to get used to this world that supposedly, you know, was uh, the devil. Mm -hmm. Um, And what's interesting and fascinating, though, is that despite her upbringing, Willa has this sense of hope. And this desire to make change. Like that was never ground out of her by Mm -hmm. her parents. She wants to find a way to save the world from rising ocean levels, from climate change, catastrophe, all of that. So then she finds a book about fighting climate change and it's called Living the Solution. And when she reads it, she feels a click and she buys in hard to the author's message and to his plan to build a community of echo warriors in the Bahamas called Camp Hope. So Willa has just been, Uh yep, yep. If you're feeling red flags, that Mm -hmm. is is a good reaction. Mm -hmm. So Willa has just been betrayed by the woman she loves named Sylvia. She Mm. really has no family left. Mm -hmm. So she gets a one-way ticket to Eleutheria, which is the island in the Bahamas. She wants to save the world. And she's sure that when she shows up, the author of that book and the leader of Camp Hope, Roy Adams, will know that she's his secret weapon. Oh, no. But immediately... Things are off. Oh, no. The people there are suspicious. <laughs> Roy Adams is missing. Oh, no. <laughs> and things start increasingly going off the rails. And for all of us savvy cult aficionados, there will be all sorts of red flags and alarm bells oh, ringing boy. as you get into this section. So don't really want to say more than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Plenty gotcha. to, to, there's some great twists. There's a great story, really lovely writing along the way. And I chose it for this theme because I think what Willa wants to do is to lead with her heart, to uh-huh. lead with emotion, no matter that she grew up with like really paranoid survivalists. She wants to do something different. Sure. Um, she has this hope. She wants to do good. She's young. She has nothing to lose. And unfortunately there's people who's going to take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. So the story becomes, can she hold on to hope, to hold on to emotion, to love through disappointment, through disaster, through all of the things that might happen when you are butting up against a potential cult? Ooh. 
That's a lot. It's a lot. And it, there's so much here to think about in terms of, you know, obviously we've read a lot about cults. We've talked a lot about it because they're fascinating. So fascinating. And here it's that idea like it's a good idea trying to to better the world, trying to, you know, do something good for climate change, everything. But of course, there's people involved. There's a pe- mm-hmm. person that's the leader who has all sorts of other motives going on. So it's never something pure, even mm-hmm. though Will is looking for that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a... Uh, yeah, it's really complicated, really engaging, and I ended up tearing through it, and it was really good. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. What an interesting premise. I like that idea. Right? Kind of like you're something that on the surface should seem good that mm-hmm. kind of tricks you into something else. Like, and I love yeah. that idea that even though you're raised a certain way, mm-hmm. you can still have an innate sense of something else. Mm-hmm. You know, you can still know that something is, is wrong, or you can still know. It, yeah, mm-hmm. it, I really like that. Well, my uh, fiction pick this week is called Notes on Your Sudden Disappearance by Allison Esbach. And this was published in May of this year. And this is this is a gripper of a story. Um, such an interesting premise. And I love the, the format. As we all know, I'm kind of a sucker for different kinds of format. Mm-hmm. But So this book opens with our main character and narrator, Sally Holt. And Sally has an older sister. And we learn fairly quickly that the two are close. But they're also going through the normal growing pains of being siblings where one older and one a little younger. And the main part of the story takes place when Sally is about to enter eighth grade. Kathy's a few years older. So Kathy, her older sister, has been in love with this guy named Billy Barnes since elementary school. Just, you know, as we all have like a little crush, just obsessed with him. Now that they're older, they go to the community pool one day, um, really hot in the summer. They're there all day. Billy Barnes happens to work there in the concession stand. And uh, Sally decides that she's going to go off the diving board, but she hits her head. And so when she hits the water, she's unconscious. And the lifeguard happens to be decided to take a smoke break at that time. (laughs) And Billy seems to be the only one that notices this. So he runs, gets in the water, saves her. Everybody's so happy. And Kathy and Sally's mom's way to think him is to have him over for dinner. Like, you should come over for dinner. And this is set back, like, set back some years. Okay. Um, so, like, during the uh, one, a, a big part of this happens around the, when Clinton was supposedly going to get impeached okay. for the Monica yeah, yeah. thing. So, mm-hmm. right around that time period. So, he comes over, and from that moment on, Kathy and him are an item. They start dating. And Sally's, you know, the younger sibling, enjoying watching it, all of these things. <clears throat> and they head into summer. They're still going strong, uh, headed into the school year. And the tragedy of all tragedies happen. And I won't tell you exactly what the what that is, but leave it to say that Kathy's gone and Sally and Billy are left and their families are kind of left picking up the pieces. And so the novel's formatted formatted as notes written by Sally to her sister Kathy. Not like like dear Kathy notes, but like I'm taking notes on things. Oh. Like this is happening, this is happening, this uh-huh. is happening. And you get before, during, and after Kathy's death of these notes that are being written to her sister. So it actually spans a full 15 years. It follows Sally into adulthood. Kind of you see through her eyes what's happening to their family from losing this child and what happened to her as a younger sister. And it's so impactful. There are times where it's just like gut punch after gut punch. And then there are other times that it's tender. But what I really loved about it is that for a novel that has such a big emotional topic, it's almost like 
slow and quiet. Mm. Like you, you really feel like you're living in it with the characters. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I picked it for this theme because the heart of the novel is really about emotions and what happens when we ignore them. Mm. Whether we lead with them or not, what happens when we push them down and fight against them? And then what happens when we just decide to accept that's the way we feel yeah. and I'm going to react that way moving forward? Um, it is... Like I said, there's a lot of parts that are really touching and kind of hard, but also I loved this idea of kind of the younger sister's perspective in this family that is sort of broken beyond repair after these things happen. Um, her relationship with Billy is very interesting as they, you know, Billy's obviously older than her, but as they get older, you know, that age gap is less important. And so their kind of relationship changes mm -hmm. and it's just a really interesting read. And like I said, I don't want to, it's not one that I would label propulsive in that mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I got to find out. It's more just like you just want to know how they're doing, kind mm -hmm. of. You just kind of want to feel like you can keep checking in. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, and it, but it really well done, really impactful story. Uh -huh. So highly recommend. And a great example of trying to fight against emotion and then ultimately, you know, when you accept it, it's easier to deal with everything else that's mm -hmm. going on. Do you think that's what part of emotional intelligence is, is accepting different emotions I think it is I think it's also I think a big part of an emotional intelligence is knowing what emotions are true and not yeah. like a, a lot of emotions are masked you know we have a reaction to something but it's really because we're feeling a different way yeah and I think a big part of emotional intelligence is being able to take a beat and say is this how I truly feel or is it because of xyz mm -hmm. and then being able to react appropriately just because you have emotions doesn't give you a green light to act or do however you want yeah. so you have to be emotionally intelligent enough to recognize where it's coming from and react in an emotionally appropriate way mm -hmm. and i think that that's that's very difficult for most people absolutely i think uh just understanding how you yourself feel about things is so freaking difficult yes. and then to try and figure out like how to convey that to other people how to manage yes. other people's emotional reactions like it's just it's a lot. It's hard to unpack an emotion yeah. and say, okay, well, this is how I feel. Because it's easier to stick with that first feeling, right? Yeah. I'm angry. Yeah. But why am I angry? I'm angry because I feel insulted. I'm angry because I feel ashamed. I'm angry mm -hmm. because I feel sad. And then why do I feel that way? Well, I feel that way because I'm insecure about X, yeah. Y, Z. You know, there's, you really have to take the time and that's not possible for most people. No, and think. there's levels of things that some people aren't willing to accept mm -hmm. like if you drill down and like oh I'm angry because I'm insecure some people can't get there they don't want to get there they right. can't get there yeah and so it's like let's just stick with anger yeah yeah that's it more yeah. oh and like we talked about weaponizing there's certain emotions that are more accepted yes and anger is one we're willing to accept for some reason yeah. lock stock and barrel which has always fascinated me because anger is actually probably the fakest of emotions yes. there's actually usually something underneath the yeah. anger but yet it's the one in society we're most willing to say yeah you should be angry about that and willing to like give a pass you're right Anger's like all shock and awe. Yeah. Whereas underneath, we're like, just yeah. need a hug. Right. Just need a fucking I hug. Mean, I know we could all probably name 15 instances off the top of our head where if we had done something or watched someone else react differently, like just take a beat and yeah. explain what they're feeling, how something would have gone differently. Absolutely. And it, you know, blew up instead because yeah. no one took the time to do that. Well, it's interesting, too, because some people, like, their initial thing is anger. And I'm realizing, like, more and more, mine is just to, like, shut down. Just mm -hmm. complete shut mm -hmm. down, complete, like, dissociation until, like, maybe a few hours later, more like a few days, few weeks later, uh -huh. do I realize, 
oh, I know what was going on there. Like, it takes a really long time. Right, right. But there's a part of your brain that just shuts it off. And some yeah. ways you can shut it off into anger, and some ways you can shut it off into, I'm just going to curl into a turtle shell mm-hmm. and just hide. Which is kind of interesting, like, I don't know, what do you think about this? Like, when we talk about emotional intelligence and that, so do you think that that there's a balance? Like, you should lead with emotion sometimes, and sometimes you shouldn't? Or should you always lead with emotion or never lead hmm. with emotion? Is there different aspects in life you should and shouldn't lead with emotion? Yeah. That's, a, that's like the essential question, right. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And increasingly, I think those lines are blurred because you would think like in work, for for example, like the, the mm-hmm. better ways to go through rationality, to, to try and look at things logically. But incre- increasingly, couple, good Lord, increasingly, companies are pushing you to be authentic and to bring your emotion and your passion yeah. to work, which, okay. Yeah, easy. There's that. Yeah. yeah. But it's, so I think those lines are blurred because increasingly you're, you're wanting to be more emotional or mm-hmm. more like in touch with your emotions everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think that's great. I think it's okay to shut it off sometimes. I do too. I, and I yeah. actually, I think that's another component of emotional intelligence yeah. is knowing when this emotion isn't going to serve you. Yeah. And unfortunately, as a society, it's just facts. Like there's times in business that I want to do things differently. <laughs> But I shut it off because yeah. I know that that's the tender part of me or the yes. part that cares. And then that's the part that gets taken advantage of. Yes. So sometimes I have to shut it off and just be a stone cold bitch. Absolutely. And that's okay. It doesn't make me feel good about it. Like I don't no. feel good sometimes when I do that. But sometimes it's just a necessity. I think you and I both, we don't like feeling inauthentic. Right. So acting in some way that's not necessarily the right emotion or, or the emotion that, you know, is welcome at that time feels weird. Mm-hmm. I had another thought and then it went away. <laughs> well, if it comes up, you can. It was going to be a good one, too. Well, I bet it I can back. just tell you it was going to be great. Well, I believe it. I'm looking off into the distance trying to remember what it was. Come back to me, thought. Come back, come back, come back. Yeah, it's gone. Okay. Well, it'll come back at some yeah. point. Maybe tomorrow. But if it's still why we're <laughs> on air, then we should when stop. When I'm editing this, maybe I can just stop it, and record the that. thought. <laughs> And then, like, find some footage of you laughing. Yeah. Put, put, that put in. in. Okay. Yeah. You can call me and tell me what it is, and I'll have an the, laugh reaction. On, perfect. On, and then you can put okay. that in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I'm just saying it was going to be great. Well, I, I bet your other genre pick is great. <laughs> it is. How'd I know? It's like I've done this 120 it, times. 121, Aaron. <laughs> well, this Come is on now. Yeah, yes. True, true. So my other genre pick is actually a novella. Sort of a hybrid thing, too. Can I tell you how much I love the word novella? Isn't it great? Why do I love that word so I much? I don't know. It's and so how fun. how did we come to like novella to say that it's shorter than a novel? But not as short as a short story. Right. Novella. It's such a weird arbitrary thing, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You, like, you, it's surprised that we don't, okay, so we have short story, we have novel. It's surprised that it wasn't a hybrid of those. Right. You know? <laughs> Like a short novel, like instead yeah. of, but we came up with novella and okay. I love it. You love it. Yeah. Love it. Well, this novella. Novella. Is Tell called, a novella. <laughs> is called Keen. K-E-E-N. Yes. Okay. By Aaron Stalkup. And this came out in 2021. So first, let's picture one of our Midwest Christian funerals. Okay. Whew. Very quiet. Mm-hmm. Very stiff upper lip mm-hmm. very fake smile mm-hmm. lots of casseroles so many casseroles so many casseroles one thing we are not used to i would say at funerals is excessive emotion 
right? Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Like at least at the ones that I've been at, it's Uh very much like keep yourself together, maybe cry a little bit, but anything else. Oh no, so you got to have the appropriate amount of crying depending on your relationship to the person. You got to have some nice nice tears coming down, but you can't start sobbing. You can't start to, because good Lord, you're making a Don't throw yourself on the casket. No, can't do any of that. Even at a place that it actually makes sense to like lead with emotion. Right. Right. Uh Okay. So then picture this. Mm -hmm. In many cultures, but specifically in old Ireland, um, keening was expected and even welcomed. And keening is very dramatic, explosive, crying and screaming and singing and all the things to sort of convey the grief that you're going through. And in fact, there were professional keeners, women that were hired to mourn this way at funerals um, to sort of act as uh, like a focal point for Uh everyone's grief. Like everyone is going through their own thing, but then there's this central figure who is just making a huge show of grief. And in that way, you can sort of like, it's almost cathartic in Mm -hmm. that way. In this book, we're in an alternate reality where this old custom still exists. And Maeve McNamara is the most famous keener in the world. Oh. And the book is told in a wee voice. Okay. And it's a group of people who adore Maeve. Like, she is a star. Okay. We watch her hit all the famous funerals, which, including group uh, Queen Elizabeth's. Oh. Interesting. Weird. Okay. Um, and put on these massive shows. Like, she attends all these celebrity funerals, all these, like, uh, Dalai Lama-type funerals, like, state uh, funerals. Okay. And... Like I said, she is a star. And then a young woman comes who asks Maeve to train her in the art of keening. And through this process of sort of handing over the torch, we get a lot of discussions around grief, Mm. around fame, around race and gender, and around tradition. Yeah. So it's a really short book, and it's so unique. There's so much depth to it, primarily because of these very public acts, but also these sort of internal discussions about what all this means. Mm-hmm. And I chose it for this theme because I think that's what this tradition of keening is about, is leading with the heart and like mm-hmm. really showing off emotion and serving as a person who acts out the intensity of the emotion and heart behind grief mm-hmm. as the mourners work through their own feelings. But then there's all this really interesting stuff too about the act of performance and how it ties to grief. Like when you're at a funeral, are you crying because you're really upset? Or are you crying because you think you should cry? Like all of these sort of weird mm-hmm. levels of it. Sure. And when there's a performer doing it, is it real? Is it really heartfelt and emotional? Or is it just like a reality type show right. going on, right? So the book really grapples with that and what's at the heart of leading with the heart. Oh my gosh, what a great premise. Yeah, and you know, it it describes quite a few of these sort of public funerals and her action is, you know, like I said, there's crying, there's screaming, but there's also singing and there's these loud like chants and prayers and it's really interesting and intense. Okay. Well, I, for my other genre pick this week, brought a graphic novel, which I've been experimenting with a little more, thanks Mm. to you, because you introduced me to a few good ones, and I try to branch out. This one's called I Parrot, and this is by Deb Olin Unferth, and the illustrations are by Elizabeth Haydell. Um, This was published in November 2017, so it's a little bit older, but the main character, Daphne, her life is like spinning out of control, seemingly by no fault of her own. She's lost custody of her son to her ex-husband due to an accident, misunderstanding, and she's facing the court system. So she's having to make sure everything on the surface looks good. So this ends up leading her to take a job that pay is not good and it's a weird job. She like does re- like positive 
meditation recordings that get sent out to all these followers like you're wonderful you can do it today so she works for this lady who then is kind of tours on a circuit and before this lady leaves she says look i need your help i need you to house sit for me and i'm going to pay you like triple what you make doing this thing because by the way i have the largest collection of parrots anyone known to man basically she has all these like really um (laughs) endangered species of parrots that this lady inherited from her uncle when he died so they're very important to her so she's like i guess how hard can it be to take care of parrots right okay and as you might guess chaos ensues so the novel takes place over just a few days of her watching these parrots and we learn a lot about daphne's backstory and like a lot of graphic novels, I feel like it's a very quick read, but it's a very powerful one. And I'm this is what is is a weird thing about why I'm bringing it. So when I first finished the novel, I enjoyed the reading experience. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, that was great. But I didn't have like a super strong reaction to it where I thought, oh, I'm going to bring this for sure. Or I'm mm-hmm. going to talk about it. Until I read some reviews oh. about it. Oh, And then I decided that this was the exact perfect pick for this week because some of these reviews were blasting the novel for the ending. Uh And they found Daphne to be unsympathetic and basically deserving of all the bad luck she ran into because she keeps making bad choices. And how dare she? You got to get yourself. What are you doing? And the comments really made me realize that this novel really is about leading with your heart and following what's right in there, even when logically it might not make the most sense. Like maybe logically to someone on the outside, it's like, well, you shouldn't do that if you're in the court system, you should do this. But to her, she was doing what she thought was right and still trying to do the best for her son in the way that she wanted to raise her son, even though there was these other factors involved. Mm -hmm. And the more that I thought about that and the more I thought about the book, I just thought, you know, there's so many things in this world that we try and apply logic to. And when it really comes down to it, all it really needs is a little bit of care, concern, and love. Mm -hmm. And we try to logic all these or assign fault or pick sides in everything, where in reality, most stuff's kind of in the middle. Both people are probably right on a lot of levels. Both people probably have valid arguments, but the solution is probably not one way or the other. Mm -hmm. It's probably to meld the two ideas. And I guess my response to the criticism really helped illustrate why I think it's important to tell stories like this. You know, they're not... Most things in life are not perfect or wrapped up with a little cute bow. Most characters don't do what we want them to do. Mm-hmm. And that's true of life. Like that who is. does, And like we were saying earlier, who reacts the exact way you think they're going to react every time? Mm-hmm. Like life is gray area. And we're so set on making it black and white. And I think, you know, this book is such a great reminder that unless you're living it, unless you're there, unless this is, you're as invested as the people in the story... You don't really get to have an opinion. I love that because it feels like um, so many books and so many reviews that we've read, it's very much like thinking like characters and humans are robots. That Mm -hmm. if you just do Mm -hmm. this and do this and do this, then everything will be fine. Exactly. If you just make this choice and make this choice, boom, done. Yeah. Yeah. And then any sort of complexity or any sort of like realness lambasted yes 100 yes. percent. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's what i and again i don't want to take away from the fact that i really did enjoy the book prior to reading the criticism 
Um, and I didn't have that kind of like visceral reaction to the ending. But sometimes, you know, you read something, and you just think, I wonder how this was received yeah. a little bit. And so I, on my own cognizant, kind of did that digging. And then when we were talking about the scene this week, I thought, you know, what's perfect for that is this mm. book that seemed almost misunderstood in mm-hmm. a way. I, and there was a lot of people that did obviously get it and it deserved any of the praise it got. But then there was also this group that just didn't seem to understand. Yeah. It's, it's like the exact thing that I think is wrong with society and media news stories we always want there to be a winner and a loser and there's never that's not really the case i wonder too you know you mentioned that some of them kind of get to that idea of unlikable characters and i wonder if like unlikable characters are often leading with their heart and leading Mm -hmm. with emotion that doesn't always make logical sense Mm -hmm. and that's why we're just like ah well i think unfortunately especially in the literary world unlikable character has transformed unlikable character to me is like someone that kind of universally you're like ooh, that person's off-putting mm-hmm. like that's you know we all know that person in our real life that we're like they don't rub anyone the right way or they're always doing something that's an unlikable character to me but we started using it in places where characters don't react like we think they should so mm-hmm. they're unlikable and those are two different things to me but they seem to have gotten they're like you're right together yeah in writing now and it i don't and, and it un- relates to some of that stuff we were talking about, like courts and true crime, where yeah. people don't react the way we think that they should be reacting. Yes, yeah. So obviously you're wrong or you're unlikable. And I don't read because I want someone to react the way that I'm going to. Yeah, no. Like, that's boring. Yeah. I want to see how someone else handles the situation. Yeah. That's sort of the fun sometimes, right? It's like, oh, I didn't see that coming because I wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And then this person did that. You know, it just, we're so always so worried about making sure we're, with the majority mm-hmm. that we sometimes forget that the majority is most of the time wrong. <laughs> the majority is most of the time wrong. And the way that we, you know, like sort of conduct society is sort of antithetical to our emotion, to yes. like leading with the heart, to who we are as human beings. Yeah, exactly. And so some of our maybe unlikable reactions are because the world's messed up. Yes, exactly. Mm. So messy. So messy. So messy. Ah. <laughs> You know what's messy in a good way? What? My pop culture pick. Ooh. You like that transition? Ooh, that was, mm-hmm. a, that was a stellar one. That was mm-hmm. a diamond level transition. Oh, a diamond one? Yeah. So on the cult level uh-huh. of like Scientology, like where's diamond level? Am I up in the like upper you're echelons? Close. You're getting okay. there. I'm going to need like okay. 100 grand for you to get okay. to platinum level, right, but you're there. Right, right. You're there. So I'm not quite clear. No, no, no. I'm still no, You're making progress. To, okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. But if you really want to be clear, then I, maybe 250 <laughs> is better. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sounds good. Uh-huh. And you're going to have to join my volleyball league. Oh, yeah. That's that's where I draw the line. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. that's fair. I can give you all the money in the world, but uh-huh. you make me join a sports league, I'm out. Uh-huh. 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 Volleyball. I don't think I'll ever look at volleyball the same after that Nexium documentary. You know what's weird about that is that this week I was going through my phone. I was trying to find an old picture of something. And for some reason there was a picture, and I must have sent it to you as a joke, of Keith Raniere in volleyball pads and like a sweatband just sitting on a bench looking really sad. And I don't know. I was like, I scrolled. It was in my oh, gallery. God. And I went through and I was alarming. like, ah, what is this? And then I was like, oh, I must have sent that at some point. I just thought it was hilarious. But now I want it off. Delete. Yeah, out of context. That's yeah. very. It was alarming. That's scary. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Pop culture pick. Yes is a movie okay it's called everything everywhere all at once oh yes so you may have heard of this it came out earlier this year in like a few small select theaters and then it just started expanding and expanding and expanding because everyone could not get over 
the craziness and the wildness and the wonderfulness of this movie. Right. So this has Michelle Yeoh, Jamie Lee Curtis, and the return of Ki Hee Kwan, who was the child actor playing Data in the in the 1980s movie Goonies. Mm-hmm. And he's come back as an adult actor. Amazing. So such a wild and emotional movie. Michelle Yeoh plays Evelyn, who is a Chinese immigrant. And she and her husband, Waymond, own a laundromat. And they're also in the middle of a divorce. Their daughter, Joy, has just recently come out as gay. And then when, when the movie opens, the family's in tax trouble. They have to go to the IRS and convince Jamie Lee Curtis oh, gosh. that their complete mess of tax records is okay. And I'm going to warn you, if you do watch this and you watch what they bring to the IRS, you're go- you're, there's going to be a part of you that dies okay. inside. Okay. Because their tax records are abysmal oh, and worse. atrocious. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. okay. Except that trip to the IRS suddenly turns into something else because Waymond, the husband, has a sort of fit like he's been taken over. And another version of Waymond then is speaking to Evelyn. And this version is telling her that he's one of many Waymonds in the multiverse and she is one of many Evelyns in the multiverse. And the multiverse is in danger from a source of chaos who happens to be their daughter. Oh, and in another world, they found a way to jump in the multiverse from one life to another to oh. like be able to live in this world for a little bit to, or to use the skills that they've learned in that world. Okay. Oh my. Crazy sci-fi premise. Yeah. Right? But we quickly see that this means Evelyn made different choices in the different universes. Okay. In one, she listened to her family who told her not to marry Waymond. Oh. In one, she became a huge movie star, kind of like Michelle Yeoh. In one, she became a master of martial arts. And there's so many more. This is hilarious, too. Besides, like, the sci-fi, like, craziness and everything, it is... Because some of the other worlds are bizarre. Uh There is a live-action Ratatouille world where there's, like, an actual, like, raccoon up on the top of... Okay? There's a world where everyone has hot dog fingers. Okay, I love that. (laughs) And a world where everyone has rocks. Okay. Okay, okay. So, like I said, to access their selves in other worlds, which they can do, they have to do really insane and ridiculous and hilarious things as well. So there's this major, like, sci-fi quest to sort of end the chaos that's threatening the multiverse. But then there's also the tax audit. And there's these central relationship problems between husband and wife, who are on the brink of divorce, between them and their daughter, and between themselves and their like wishes and desires and disappointments for their life, especially when they see these other lives where they made different decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's why I chose it for this theme, because okay. it's ultimately about love and choosing love and what that means and how you have to keep doing it over and over again. Mm. And beyond that, This is a frenzy of eye candy, of insane jokes, and of some really powerful, like, emotional performances, Mm. too. I think it's wonderful because Michelle Yeoh finally gets a movie where she gets to do everything. And she's in her 60s, by the way. And this is... Damn. Yeah. Um, And Kiki Kwan, there's this great interview that he gave, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, where he said that he got back into acting after seeing Crazy Rich Asians in the theater. Uh And he was so excited and enlivened by the idea of all this amazing Asian representation. He's like, I want to get back into it. Oh, that's awesome. So we got back into this, and it's it's truly remarkable. It's just a wonderful performance. So you get a little bit of everything. Sounds amazing. You got to sit down, you got to really focus, and just let this 
insanity wash over you. Okay. And imagine what it's like to have hot dog fingers where you can only use your toes to uh, grab things okay, well and play the I, piano. I like it less. Okay. I don't like people using their feet to do but stuff. But imagine this. In that world, uh, Michelle Yeoh and Jamie Lee Curtis have a little relationship and they gently touch each other. On with the those hot, with dog, hot fingers? dog fingers? Okay, I'm in again. You got me back. Yep, I'm back in. I'm back in. I'm back in. Done. Well, I actually brought a movie as well. Okay. And this is kind of, it's it's a left field one oh. for me. And you can thank my husband, Mike, for this. But okay. I am recommending that you watch Elvis the movie. Oh, my goodness. It is out. We saw it in the theater. You can watch it now on, on HBO. HBO. Now. Mm-hmm. You can rent it other places. I just was looking over my notes right before, and I just have a line that says, watch it. So I guess I <laughs> want you to watch it. I don't. Feeling forceful. It's in all caps. Watch it. So wow, yeah. So you were in a mood when you wrote I those notes. I was in a mood, and you were like, "Listen, I don't need to tell you about it. Just to, fucking watch just it. Just watch it. I'm yeah. telling you to watch it. Watch it." Yeah. So Austin Butler, who I didn't have a lot of knowledge of, I guess he's like a, a, a Disney or Nickelodeon, some kind of star. Like he was younger. Oh, he was on okay. TV, plays Elvis, and I'm telling you right now, he deserves all of the awards. Hmm. Anything he can be nominated for, he should be. So. I know that when you hear this, you probably think, I know enough about Elvis. Yeah. And I felt that way. I went because my husband, for reasons unknown to me, is a huge Elvis fan. So mm. I knew we were going to have to go to the theater and see this. And it's Baz Luhrmann, so there's a certain style to yeah. it, which is incredible right off the bat. Yeah. But when I tell you that this movie took me by surprise, it really, truly did. It's about so much more than Elvis. We all know kind of the, the the Elvis version, right? He was popular, got into drugs, died on a toilet, Elvis, yeah. right? We all know that. And this isn't really that at all. It has a lot more to do with his struggle to keep what he really enjoyed about music at the forefront, mm. really about leading with emotion. And they make a very clear argument in the movie that when Elvis reached his height of popularity, it was because he was leading with his heart. He was doing what he loved and he didn't care when people said, that looks weird or you're not doing that right or that's not what makes popular music. Mm-hmm. Or his manager was saying, no, you can't do that. You need to do this. When he ignored that stuff, that's when the crowds just, they could feel it. Which we know from real life, right? Yes. Authenticity, you can you can feel that. Oh, yeah. And it's it's an energy that you want more of. But when then he was put in the position... For some reason, my phone just decided that it needed to listen to me. That was uncomfortable. Uh, oh, it just turned on and was recording you? Yeah. Like it was like acting like... Did I say something that sounded... I don't... It's was not that Apple. Elon? Did he turn it on? Elon, somehow? I swear to God. <laughs> have another kid. I don't want you messing with my phone. Cry minutely. Do your shit or get a tan because you are alarmingly white. Well, and that's from someone who's. I was going to say, we shouldn't, you know, yeah, judge, but, but I haven't seen pictures. Is he like transparent? Yeah. Oh, it's alarming. Like pasty, real pasty? Like worse. Oh. It's like almost like he painted his body with baby powder. Huh. I mean, maybe he's been living in his vault or his bunker it and he definitely just, gives you know, the impression that he might be from a different planet. Mm, well, we can't rule it out. Just saying. Yeah. Just saying. Anyway, I. It is. There's so much about what actually influenced and inspired Elvis's music and a lot of things that I think kind of got washed out of his background. Like there, there's been this feeling that he sort of stole or appropriated right. music and they really address that a lot and say he did everything he could at the time to basically give credit where credit was due, just no one listened. Like uh. they show clips of like actual videos of Elvis, not, you know, at the end of the movie of people saying, so you're the king of rock and roll and him stopping them and be like, no, I'm not. Like I don't know how many times I told you that I learned that from so and so and he'll name like a really influential artist or no 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 that title goes to he was very 
upfront about the fact that he got his start because he went to a revival and he just fell in love with the music when he was feeling at his most vulnerable and like he was being portrayed as something different he always went back to the heart which was gospel and that's what he really felt Hmm. um and to me that's what the whole movie is about is that is that pull that we all have like this is how you're successful but this is how you really feel yeah so which what does success really mean is it the money and the glory or is it doing what you really want to do and is the success all based on like whatever media wants to tell themselves and they're ignoring what he actually said and a lot about when he really for the things that he had to do behind the scenes to try and get back to that place Mm. of what was really important to him um it's a really interesting portrayal i've been fascinated by this austin butler i watched a few interviews with him Uh, one that he did with lisa marie who said that she was given a cut of the movie before it came out and she said i'll be honest anytime there's something about elvis i just dread it because it's always like this very one-dimensional image and she said i sat down in my chair i had my hands on my armchair and i was just gripped in to just be sick again and she said 10 minutes in and i went oh my god they finally did it oh my god yeah like she and austin butler sitting next to her when she says it you can just see him be like oh, you know god. and then he explains that he found out that he got this role right before covid so he literally spent all of covid in his apartment and anyone that interacted with him he did everything as elvis oh. he spoke as elvis he ate things elvis liked he uh interacted with people as elvis he sang he said that's all i did for a year and a half was in my apartment i lived as elvis so that i could embody and when i tell you (laughs) it's at the end of the movie they show like videos of elvis and they put it up with the videos of austin butler playing elvis you can't tell the difference even though you just watched the whole video you know that it's not you're like i this is so uncanny it's unbelievable wow and it was one of the first times I understood the Elvis craze. I remember you telling me this after you saw the movie. You're like, I f- maybe finally get the whole like hip thing and the whole like, you know, magnetism that yes. like girls were all over him. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene real quick. It's probably within the first 20 minutes. He comes out and he's in the pink suit and he comes out and he does that like gyration thing. And something about the way that they wrote that scene and did it, you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, this is what was happening. I get it now. I get it. I get it. Because there was something so attractive about someone being so comfortable with themselves. Yeah. Especially in a time when that wasn't allowed. Yeah. And that was something I didn't realize about him either, is that there's a lot of people that kind of act like they created Elvis, right? And that's, you find out that that's so not true. Like he came into this with his own style. He had his own style clear back when he was like going to school and wasn't popular. That was very similar to what he had on stage. And he did not give two shits he was like no this is what i like to wear like the pink suit people were like you can't wear that you a guy cannot wear yeah, a pink yeah, suit yeah. on stage and he's like yeah i'm gonna and just he did not ever care they would bring they do that a lot in the movie they would like bring him things and he'd be like i'm not wearing that that's ridiculous <laughs> and then he would put on you know his outfit with the cape like it it was i don't know it just created a whole different kind of image of him that mm-hmm. i wasn't expecting and it's i think it's worth it just for that it's worth it for kind of the musical influences and just to see that guy perform was unbelievable that's really cool and that's um i saw that it came out on hbo recently and i haven't watched it yet but that was one of the reasons i wanted to is because you said like you finally got why he was such a big deal and i never like you know growing up i think because we were the next generation we just didn't quite get it like he just wasn't he was more old-fashioned than anything or we knew him in his weird like gospel bloated age and right you know yeah and that wasn't so 
I'm looking forward to seeing it. Based it is on that. great, yeah. and even the whole story of that Christmas special, which is very pivotal. It's in the movie. It, that was fascinating to me. There's so many things in there that I just didn't know, and I was really impressed by, mm-hmm. and felt like, man, you know, to not have that story told is such a such a disservice to kind of his legacy and it also makes sense why he has such a lasting legacy now like why it it sort of transcends like we're still we're in this generation having an elvis movie that's popular it doesn't see it seems like almost against what you would think 70 years later yeah yeah Yeah. so i i really highly recommend it i don't think that there's anyone that can't get into it on some level and baz lerman brought his typical style to it and it works i do love a baz lerman style yeah it's good it's real good do you remember seeing like romeo and juliet for the first (gasps) time his romeo yes I loved that just like that very frenetic like crazy and that's how it is at the beginning of this like you get there and you know within 10 minutes you're watching Baz Luhrmann because it's like this real like when he's first starting out on the circuit and Uh they're just getting popular so they're basically playing like these little carnivals yeah and it's like they're going from place to place to place and you're just like oh my gosh this is I love this love everything about this so well, I'm glad, Baz Luhrmann, you're still around and you're still doing your thing. I am too. What a topic to take on. I like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good recommendation. I may just watch that tonight. It's a something. You're going to, it's something. I'm telling okay. you. If I text you and say, oh, I'm feeling things, then yeah. you'll know what I mean. Because that's why I text you. Yeah, you did. I'm in the you theater did. and I have feelings. And I was like, oh, okay. Didn't yeah. expect that. No, neither did but I. But good for you. Neither did I. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And I will tell you, I went in because it's like two and a half hours or something. It's a fairly long movie. So you went in not leading with emotion. You were leading with just like, Ugh, I, I have to do, do this, this for my relationship. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh-huh. I was like, this is really important to Mike. I'm going to do this. I wasn't super looking forward <laughs> to the long movie. And then I was like, I'd watch it again immediately. So, way to go. <laughs> Are you saying way to go to your husband or to you? To Baz or to, to Baz. And okay. Butler, okay. Pretty much. Yeah. Good job. Uh-huh. Yeah. And Elvis, I guess. But also to you because you took one for the team trooper. and you went to that movie and then it, it converted you. It did convert me. <gasps> you, could, you got converted. I got converted. I almost, I almost got into a cult, an yeah, Elvis cult. Oh, no. And now, I mean, I pulled myself back okay. from the edge. Good, good, but good, good, good. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Gotta be vigilant about those cults. You do. You have to be very careful. It can go fat, bad fast. <laughs> so fast. Wow. So leading with the heart and the emotion isn't always a bad thing. No, not it's always. It's not something to be made fun of. No. It's not a pussy thing. No, neither is being a vegan. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for reinforcing that. It's actually hard. Do you feel like that that's like what most people are actually saying is like, I couldn't do that. Because I feel like There's I've that. witnessed a lot of conversations that are like, well, I couldn't live without cheese. So I'm like, you're calling someone a pussy, but in reality, what you're saying is like, I can't even pretend to attempt to understand how to work that into my life. I mean, crying out loud, they've made keto or keto or however you say it way easier. Yes. And that, I mean, you cut out bread. What's wrong with you? Yes. And that is so bad for you. So, so bad. bad for your body system. So bad for your heart. Oh, boy. Good God. Oh, boy. But you're right. If you brand anything as a diet, it will immediately take off and yeah. everyone's fine with it, no matter how crazy I the feel diet like is. if you just said that about vegan, you're like, well, I'm just doing this to lose weight. People yeah. would be like, oh, okay. Yeah. And they'd be willing to work around it. Yes. And then, but then because it's like, well, no, it's actually for a better reason. Uh-huh. I'm like, oh, well. Because it's ethics. I'm like, what? Come Ethical. on. With your ew, big words. Ew, Gross. Ew. Too bad. We're going to the steakhouse <laughs> and you're coming. Which has happened multiple uh, times. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. I said that from a real life. Yes, I almost said the name did. of a restaurant. And yep, then I, yep. I almost did as well. Uh-huh. And brought that back. Brought it right back. Yep. Right back. The great news is that yeah. we're headed to episode be back. 122. Oh, my God. 
with another one hit wonder who knows who, we're who bring knows next time. you got delight this time also one more thought did you ever see the movie that thing you do yes oh i loved that movie i watched that so many times because it was about a one hit wonder yeah. which is what it made me think of and, and they called themselves the wonders i mean that could work that could work such a fun movie i love it yeah it might have to be. We'll let you know. We'll let you know. We'll Come think back. about it. Yeah. yeah. We yeah. don't have to think about it on air. No. We'll make those decisions Listen, outside. Listen, we might of... do a different one and then do that one in like four episodes. You never you know. Never you know. never know. You never know. On your toes. In the meantime. Happy reading. I'm up again, same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Cause their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. <laughs> because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.